The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and we've got the whole gang with us again today after the festival season came to an end and Laurie Whitwell eventually found his way out of his wellies. Did you have a nice time at Glastonbury? I had a lovely time and I didn't even need my wellies, Ian. It was that sunny. Oh? There was threats of rain. Is it Glasto without wellies? I've been to three now and I've not needed them once. So I don't know if I'm a lucky charm or if it's not a proper Glastonbury because I'm going there. But um, no, it was just dusty, a little bit of rain. Uh, my Adidas trainers got a lot of work wearing them, um, a lot of stepping, as I said to you off camera, 57,000 steps 57, on one day. 57,000 steps, people, <laughs> beat that. 200,000 across the whole festival. Uh, it was brilliant though. I'm trying to find a tenuous football link and I think the best I can do is Sam Fend on the pyramid stage and his saxophonist oh, yeah. wearing a Newcastle shirt and lots of Geordies flying about. Um, that was quite good fun. Um, but no, the... The fact that your go-to reference for the weekend was how many steps you did <laughs> concerns me slightly, to be honest, but I'm guessing you did a good time. It's, I think, do you know, the main part of it is actually the two-stepping whilst I'm at the stages. It's not even the walking <laughs> from stage to stage. So I'm kind of cheating there, I reckon. But um, uh, but I didn't do any two-steps when I was in the rabbit hole for Paolo Nettini. That was my highlight. I'm just going to squeeze that one in there because I've never seen him before live. been a fan of his since I was at uni and these streets came out and he's just come back with loads of new music and he was absolutely absolutely incredible so hopefully I can see him again in future you'll get a chance at some point Larry you tend to find a way just like when you're chasing those Harry Styles tickets that time <laughs> we discovered last week as well actually um when we were chatting that, that Carl and Andy have also been to a festival over the summer <laughs> together and they'd not mentioned it on the pod yet so Carl spill the beans yes uh, I had my one big holiday year went to Primavera Sound in Barcelona and obviously I was in, in Barcelona so I sent the main man Andy in a text or rather, he sent me a very lovely voice note uh, and invited me out for a civilised lunch and a walk around town and got a potted history. Civilised? It was quite civilised. We were drinking Vichy Catalan, oh, okay. which is a Spanish mineral water that has a very weird taste that I can't really describe properly. Uh, and then uh, Andy went to uh, Dua Lipa at Primavera with his two daughters, which I thought was brilliant. Andy went to Dua Lipa, right? Andy... Is that true? Yeah, my daughter wanted to see Dua Lipa and uh, obviously I went along and, and watched her and uh, I might have listened to her as well, but I definitely watched her. <laughs> I, I thought she might be a bit LFC for you, mate, to be honest. I don't even know what that means, so yeah, m- maybe she is, but she was bang on. <laughs> Listen, my daughter knew all the, all the acts. I gave it the big one. I can go to a festival. First two days I lasted till four in the morning. Third day I just thought, I cannot do this anymore. And, 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 and didn't, didn't go and my daughter's just like laughing at me but yeah it was, it was great I just I keep feeling good that we can do these things again after a couple of years of not being able to do it same with, with uh, Glastonbury Primavera and I think you need you need a break to disconnect from, from football 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 and definitely did that as I was dancing to uh, Dua Lipa as a lad came up to me and said can I ask you about the athletic <laughs> <laughs> really that's really? intense. If anyone's wondering what that noise is in the background of Andy's recording, he's actually by the sea, so we can hear the waves lapping on a beach somewhere. Where are you, Andy? That's the Adriatic. I'm in Montenegro. I've come here for a few days to spend some time with um, someone who I'm not going to name, but he, he's a very, very, very good football player. Ooh, intriguing. There you go. 
Intriguing indeed. Laurie, do you want to guess who it is? Well, I, I could guess, but I don't want to spoil the surprise for everybody. And, and Andy's threatened me with <laughs> pain of death if I reveal it on Talk of the Devil. So I'm going to leave it there because I know he's got ways of finding out where I am in the world, even if I manage to move on from here. <laughs> I, I say one thing about Montenegrin footballers, and it's not anyone meeting, or I might be meeting this guy later on. Uh, the best individual performance I've ever seen at Old Trafford was a Montenegrin called Dejan Savicevic for Red Star Belgrade against Manchester United in the 1991 European Super Cup final. And anyone who was there that night, including all the players, would probably agree with that. I will have to check out footage of that as it was, I mean, if it was Super Cup 91, I would have been four months old. Uh, So sorry about that, Andy, if I've made you feel older. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we better move on swiftly then. Um, We need to talk about the football. I seem to say this phrase every single week, don't know when I'm trying to move things on. But we do need to talk about the football because Manchester United might actually be signing a footballer, Laurie Whitwell. You've been writing about it, are they? I think it's pretty much done, isn't it? Tyrell Malassia, um, the left-back from Feyenoord. He'd been um, talked about early in the summer window, but not really a priority position and Frankie de Jong was the priority. Central midfield was what Eric Ten Hag wanted to strengthen. I think everybody can look at that position and think that's where United need to add numbers and quality. Um, I mean, particularly defensive midfielder, Carl. I know we'll get onto that, but <laughs> I know Frankie de Jong isn't quite that player, but Terrell Malassia is the one that seems to be most advanced. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an announcement in the coming days. Um, I think Leon's interest in him perhaps uh, hurried the situation along and you can perhaps applaud United for waiting for them to agree a fee with Feyenoord, coming in at the last minute and then adding a little bit more on top and, and getting the deal sorted. Um, Leon have pulled out of the race now because they acknowledge that United is the favoured destination for the player. Um, so, listen, it's a, it's a signing um, and... You know, obviously, I've been away at Glastonbury and there was quite a funny couple of messages from people that were connected with United um, who sort of messaged me saying, you know, you be, be careful, you might be at the pyramid stage when Mac is, you know, getting up to Hey Jude and, and we dropped the bomb that, you know, we're signing Frankie de Jong. And I kind of replied saying, don't worry, I'm not going to hold my breath. And, you know, I've come back and lo and behold, no one's signed yet. <laughs> so at least, at least this is somebody. Um, because I do think there's a, you know, we wrote this piece before I went away. There's a great value in having... A player in the building, it spreads confidence amongst your teammates, it spreads confidence amongst the manager and future signings. United still haven't done that. Whether or not Tyrone Massia is that kind of player that can at least start the ball rolling on on further signings, I don't know. But clearly he's going to be someone that rivals Luke Shaw for that left-back slot. It means Alex Tellis's position is in, is in doubt a little bit. Also Brandon Williams, you know, what will happen with him? He might well go out on loan again. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting signing, but one that doesn't really answer all the questions that we've got at the moment. No, that is true. Um, and he's a name from left field, really, as well. Not in terms of the position <laughs> on the pitch, just the fact that he's not necessarily a name that a lot of Manchester United fans knew a great deal about. Of course, he's coming from Feyenoord. He made 50 appearances in all competitions for them last season, a team who finished third in the Eredivisie. He's got five caps for Holland as well, having made his international debut last year do we know any more about him Carl than that I am learning at a very quick pace so excellent I've watched uh, I've gone back and watched some of his games in the Europa Conference League and I rewatched part of the Europa Conference League final against Roma I believe he featured in that a little bit he has made leaps and bounds last season it feels weird calling 21-22 last season but he, he's become Laurie's been doing it for a while don't <laughs> worry did it on the day after the season finished <laughs> true you want to get rid of whatever happened to United don't you uh, he's made leaps and bounds in the attacking sense 
uh, really played a lot more like a, a left wing back on Arnslot. Arnie Slot, I, I'm, forgive me on the pronunciation there. So very good attacking play. I think Laurie's correct in that he'll most likely try and compete with Luke Shaw rather than replace Luke Shaw as the starting left back this season. I wouldn't be surprised if we are talking, you know, this time next year or, or you know, just before the next Euros in 2024 and he might be the starting left back. I think he's got a lot of the tools there. Uh, and if Ten Hag's, you know, decided he's the one, then he's good. <laughs> And this sort of ties into what you've said a few times actually on the podcast is that you're quite happy for United to sign players you've never heard of if you feel like the right work has been done and the manager wants him and there's a plan for these players. So this is the type of business that you were hoping United would do. Is that right? Yeah, and Eric Ten Hag, having managed in that league, um, obviously knows him and his opinion matters more than anybody else's here. Uh, Feyenoord are Ajax's main rivals. I, I did a book on derby games years ago. It was one of the most fierce in the world. And if you can survive at that level and play in that game, then you've got something about you. So if a rival manager is looking at you as the opponent's left back and thinking, this guy's got it mentally, more power to his elbow. Great, get it done. 22 years old. Uh, he's established in the Feyenoord team. I'm seeing United being linked to players who are establishing themselves in top international teams. So he's coming into the Dutch team, levels are very high. My first reaction was, I don't know hardly anything about this player, but I like what I'm hearing about him. And if Eric Ten Hag thinks he's the man, then great. And pretty uncertain Manchester United at left back and at right back. And there probably is a vacancy there. I'd still say that Luke Shaw is the default number one. But we have good seasons with Luke Shaw and we have injury hit seasons and never really had that level of consistency that we've had with great Manchester United fullbacks. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think as well, the, the one thing about um, targeting a left-back, Carl, and you've written about the defence needing to improve after spending £200 million on centre-backs in recent years. Uh, the headline says that Ten Hag has to create a collective vision and basically the idea is that the, the whole... Um, function of the team needs to be better defensively. Go and check that out if you want to know more about that. But is left back maybe the one area that wasn't the most obvious to target in terms of improving, or am, am I overlooking something? It was a position that I could see Ten Hag wanting to improve next summer. Uh, I, I vaguely, I think I mentioned previously that I thought Ten Hag would most likely run it back with Luke Shaw, probably promote Brandon Williams ahead of Alex Tilly's. And, and see how that would run for at least the first half season. That he's been so proactive here is encouraging. It's also a pretty good indication of how he wants to play in wide areas in particular. I think such is the attacking endeavour from Tyrell. It should pose good news for anyone who wants to play on left wing because he's very good at making those sorts of overlapping runs that Alex Talis was not good at at all last season. So I think if you're if you're Jaden Sancho and you like an overlapping fullback, then this is the sort of purchase that will, will get you quite excited and also probably shows you that you know possible plans for what Ten Hag wants to do at right back as well. So yeah, useful signing. Okay. You got a piece coming out on him then, Carl, at some point? Yes, I'm gonna try and get this one out for the middle of the week next week. I'm watching as many Eredivisie games as I can between now and Monday. <laughs> We'll keep an eye out for that then. Brilliant. Uh, Laurie, I can hear people shouting at us because um, 
Someone mentioned De Jong before and didn't really say anything else. So we need to say something else about Frankie De Jong, don't we? The latest story that you've written, and I love how creative this language is now getting. <laughs> Manchester United continuing positive talks with Barcelona over transfer. We've had edging closer. We've had nearing agreement. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what else we've had. But, uh, Advancing. Are you running out of ways to describe how close this deal is Yeah, now? I mean, there's, it, is, it is, you know, you can probably criticise journalists for getting overly... Uh, invested in the jargon around transfers, um, for sure. Uh, I think it's a whole Lexus to itself, isn't it? The, the way that transfer news is reported um, and, and how you edge it along a little bit. So forgive me for perhaps not, I guess, expressing entirely where I think this is at. But listen, I think that the, the news that came out on the Tuesday, wasn't it? And I was, I was hoping for like a nice sedate uh, ease back into reality after the kind of festival of Glastonbury. Um, but it was the fact that there was progressive talk clearly on the fact that there's a guaranteed sum of money that United are willing to give that Barcelona are now willing to accept. And it's, it's 65 million euros is what we think it's, it's going to end up being around. Um, now, you talk to people at Barcelona and they still insist that they ultimately want more than that because they want to get to a figure of 80 million euros guaranteed, basically, that allows them to record the Frankie de Jong sale as a profit. And I think Andy can obviously touch upon that a little bit more as well. Um, so listen, I don't know how it'll ultimately shake down, but it, it felt like they'd had a good number of conversations basically on that Monday where you come away from it and thinking, okay, that, that's an advancement in the deal because before then it was still a little bit unsure, will this actually happen? You know, we all expect the deal to happen, but at the moment Frankie de Jong's on holiday. You know, we see him posting pictures from Las Vegas. Um, there was a story last night about the potential of him being unveiled though at the weekend at Old Trafford. I checked out a little bit and I, I'd, I'd be surprised at that personally, but um, you know, clearly it's going one way. and I think that's the kind of emphasis of the story. He's on holiday in, in Rill and uh, he's having a nice time. <laughs> and Manchester United are pretty confident about the whole thing. United are pretty relaxed. I don't have a problem if a player is hard to get. Alex Ferguson always said, if someone's hard to get, that means they're good. He was always suspicious if a player was easy to get. And too many times in the last decade, United have been offered players at the last minute and they've been pretty easy to get. It's all, all been about numbers. Some of the best signings in United's history have been really fought out, difficult to get hold of. Uh, the fundamentals are Barcelona want to sell, Manchester United have got the money to buy, and he's a cracking player. And Eric Ten Hag wants him as his priority for Manchester United for next season. I think that Frankie de Jong, well I know, he's been perfectly happy playing for Barcelona. I don't think he would have pushed for any move whatsoever. And that's where we are at the moment. I would expect the transfer to go through, but as we speak at the moment, it has not gone through. Yeah, Nick Miller's written on The Athletic Andy about the idea of the deadline of the 30th of June for so many different things. We're, we're hearing the Richarlison deal is edging closer, Laurie, <laughs> um, and, and Tottenham are on the verge of signing him <laughs> from Everton. Um and then that's related to June the 30th. <laughs> yeah, poised. Um, that's related to June the 30th because apparently Everton need the money in so they can count it in this financial year. And also that then comes into a four-year period, which takes in uh, the period of COVID. It's usually three years, but they've extended it because of all the effects of, of the pandemic. Um, in terms of the financial fair play um, judgment and then restrictions that Everton may or may not face, Barcelona have also got a deadline of June the 30th for their finances. And Nick details that in the piece on the Athletic. So do you think there's anything in that in terms of De Jong, Andy, I know we're talking about United trying to exploit, in inverted commas, 
Barca's financial situation, but is there anything in the June the 30th thing? Yes, I think there is. If you look at the date when Barcelona have signed players in recent years, July the 1st is more prominent than any other date in the, in the calendar. And for Manchester United, I was told a month ago, uh, a lot of staff are going to leave the club before June the 30th. So it's, it's a financial year end, and I'm not an accountant, but I was always told it was significant. So I can't sit here now and say, uh, Frankie's going to be getting the train from, from Real to Manchester on the 1st of July, because I've got no evidence of that. Um, but... Barca have also got to do their transfer business. This isn't a club who don't want to sell. This isn't a hostile sign-in. They've got the targets, then they need money to get those targets in. So I do think it's significant, but I still wouldn't be surprised if we're talking in, in the next podcast and, and, and he hasn't signed. It's he's, the, the lad's on holiday and he's got a contract which he's entitled to sit out if he, if he wants to. That's what it shakes down to, doesn't it? Whether or not. United could have actually done this deal already and he'd be a United player and everyone knows that and then he comes back from his holiday straight away to pre-season. If that could have happened and United are basically quibbling over 10, 15 million euro, then I would have said, is that really worth the hassle for it? You know, could you not just pay the money? Particularly when, you know, as we've been away, the dividends have gone out to the Glazer owners and I know that's a really uh, topic of of issue for a lot of people, um, you know, when you can equate it very easily to money that's going out of the club to shareholders, you know, could you not just you know, put that money to a player? Um, so if, if that could have happened, then I think that is a mistake. If it really couldn't have happened and he was always going to wait until after his holiday to make a final decision on where he wants to go, then I understand why United are making, you know, the negotiations and, and you know, and, and kind of extracting this a little bit longer. But um, there is going to come a point where it's going to be, an issue for United to not have him in the door and, and what do they do with other signings okay they've, they've gone and signed Terra Malassia but he, he's not going to be the definitive player this season it, it seems like a good addition to the squad could be a really promising young player as you say Andy 22 has got room to develop but there, there will come a point you know particularly on, on pre-season tour where we're thinking what is United's ambitions for this season and is it being hamstrung by you know small increments in offers that are going into Barcelona well, of course, you can keep a close eye on The Athletic for whatever creative language Laurie decides to describe this transfer progressing by. Uh, I'm sure there'll be updates in the coming days on that. If you're not a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to get a subscription for just £1 a month for the first six months. You get full access to all our great writing, including all the transfer updates and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast as well, including this one. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So we're talking there about players who may be arriving at Old Trafford, but of course more space needs to be made in the Manchester United squad for more players to come in, despite Lowe's leaving on free transfers already. Carl, you've been writing about two of the players who seem to be going towards the exit door. Dean Henderson and Andreas Pereira, both articles are up on The Athletic. Just give us some of the detail about these two and the position that they're in. Dean Henderson looks to be one of the preferred transfer targets in Nottingham Forest. It seems to be he's going to be a loan deal. 
initially. Uh, possibly, I, I can... It'd be fun if Nottingham Forest could stay up next season. Uh, and I think if that thing happens, oh, Laurie's shaking his head. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought you were going to say obligation or option. There's, there's no obligation or option in it, that's all. No, no, no. There, there's, no there's no obligation or option to buy. Uh, but I, I would imagine if Dean Henderson does prove worthy of the extra three or four points that keeps Nottingham Forest up, they might uh, ask to keep hold of him. I think the interesting thing with that loan deal is Forest seem to be able to cover... Uh, a decent percentage of Dean Henderson's wages, which is a lot more money than I thought Nottingham Forest had when they got promoted. So, welcome to the Premier League. Indeed, 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 indeed. Uh, I think that's really good for Dean Henderson. He, you know, that the, there is an alternate reality where he didn't get injured on Euro 2020 duty, and he probably pushes Jordan Pickford for that number one spot. You know, he could have also not got COVID, and who knows what would have happened at the start of the season as well. So he's had a really unfortunate 12, 13, 15 months. Uh, and it'll be good to see him play some first-team football because I know he's good enough to be a Premier League football player. I just don't know where in the table he can be. So uh, I think that's good for him. Yeah, it's an interesting point, that, to be fair, because he's he, he's had his moments in a Manchester United shirt, good and bad in that sense. And, of course, he's shone very brightly on loan at Sheffield United, and this feels like a similar move in terms of the profile of the club. Andy, you wrote in the past about Chelsea's interest um, or you talked about it certainly on the podcast. Um, do you think that's why United have got no option or obligation in there? Because they still feel like if Henderson has a successful season on loan at Forest this year, his value is going to be a lot higher this time next year to sell. Or it might be that Eric Ten Hag still has an, a half an eye on him maybe for the future. Well, he can afford to have half an eye on him. Um, Carl's point about we don't know what his level is is a good one. Is he a top four, top six Premier League goalkeeper? Or is he someone who is going to be playing for teams fighting relegation. In hindsight, United could have cashed in at points in the past. He's had quite a lot of luck against him, Dean Henderson. And I spoke to Alan Fettis, who, who worked with Dean Henderson probably more than any other goalkeeping coach. And Alan's just left the club and gone to Middlesbrough's main goalkeeping coach. And he's pretty glowing about Dean Henderson. And he said if it wasn't for Dean Henderson, David De Gea wouldn't have got back to the levels that, that he got to. He really needed pushing by Dean Anderson. That's not much consolation to Dean Anderson. Okay, you're pushing someone in training, but you're not playing. He needs to be playing first-team football. Forrest have got the Premier League money. He's going to be busy. Forrest are not going to be winning the league next year. It could be a win-win for everybody. And if, if he establishes himself as a top-top uh, goalkeeper, then he's going to get a, a bigger transfer fee than maybe he will get at the moment. So it, it, it could be decent business. Andres Pereira, Carl. <laughs> Sorry, I scoffed. Uh, Andreas Pereira is, um, I mean, he looks fantastic in preseason, doesn't he? I think a lot of United fans have called him the preseason polo because of his, uh, he's, he has, he has a, he has a fantastic knack of scoring long range finishes in preseason. And then just, I can't make heads and tails of what his best position is or what he's particularly good at when the Premier League season starts. He's had a stint on the Jose Mourinho where he played as the deepest lying midfielder. Uh, he had a stint where he played as a box-to-box on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He also had the stint just before Bruno Fernandes came in where he was a number 10. Um, and he was okay in his most recent loan move at Flamengo. But I, I, he's another football player of maybe your Premier League quality. I don't know where in the Premier League you are. So if if Fulham want him and Marco Silva says there is something in there, then all power to them. And, and that looks like to be a move that is slowly progressing. Uh, I think that there is a firm interest from Fulham in the player 
Uh, and it's just a case of coming to an agreement and agreeing the you know personal um, agreement and also the right number. Uh, but I think, yeah, it'll be good for, for Andres Pereira to seek out a permanent move elsewhere. It's certainly busy, Laurie, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the Pereira one is an example, really, of what United need to be getting good at in terms of selling players at the right time, getting good money for them. I think, you know, if it's ultimately 10 million quid or something like that, that's that's a fair enough price for, for a player of his abilities. And, and But that, that's what United needs to kind of get really good at, you know, identifying when they can sell players and, and getting good value for them. That's what Liverpool have done brilliantly. And they've topped up their transfer budget with those, you know, Little little bonuses, I suppose, and that's therefore meant that they can go and spend, you know, eighty million on on Darwin Nunes, for example. City have done the same, Man haven't City, they? Chelsea do it well as well. So United haven't really done that all that well. I mean, Dan James is probably the one, you know, as we've spoken about before, that they kind of stood out last season. But if they can start doing that with players like Andres Pereira, I thought he was going to go to Flamengo um, after his loan spell. That obviously fell through for different reasons. Fulham thing seems like a good fit for him under Marco Silva. You feel like that he could he could do quite well there. Um, the Dean Henderson thing is, is another example. You know, United privately, I think, were scoffing at the idea that they would sell him for an obligation of or option of twenty million pounds. They, they feel like he's actually worth a lot more than that. When you look at what Aaron Ramsdale went for to Arsenal, and he got relegated that season, Dean Henderson did did better really with Sheffield United. So, so that's kind of a barometer for there. So, I think that ultimately is why it's just going to be a loan to Nottingham Forest. I think that will get confirmed once he's back from holiday. He got married uh, whilst he's been away. Um, so, but United do need to get good at this kind of thing. And it's a difficult task, clearly, because, you know, a lot of clubs will look at Man United and think, well, you've got loads of money. You don't need to sell for a certain amount of, you know, I don't know, you, you can afford to give him to us, this player, for, for a less fee than perhaps other clubs would charge. But by the same token, being a United player, just being at United, being around the club, understanding the scale of the place and having, you know, even European football experience should add value to you as a player. So I think United hopefully can get better at that aspect of the game. Andy, obviously we've had the first glimpses of Eric Ten Hag on the training pitch this week at Carrington with the Manchester United squad. I wonder if you've heard anything yet about how the first few days have gone. I think one of the interesting aspects has been just how many players have been involved in the first team. There's a real sense that he's having a good look at as many people as he feels possible. There's kids of 16, 17 in that group. I love to see a coach on the grass. That's what he's best at. When I speak to people about him, they talk of him, first of all, about being a coach. Not about his charisma with the media, not about his language skills, not about his devilment. A coach on the grass, and we're seeing evidence of that, and Manchester United have have needed that. All power to his elbow. You'll have loads of players jockeying for position. Some of them will think that they've got... Uh, a clean start under the new manager and actually they will have as well if if a player's doing really well in pre-season then he'll give him a chance and we probably could name some uh, more than others I think I'd be really interested to see how Donny van der Beek does under Eric Ten Hag uh, for example and yeah he's been in there for a few days um, we're going to get to speak to him when we're on the, the pre-season tour I'm sure we're going to get stories of the players being fitter of them developing an understanding with the coach and that's all great but that can also disappear within a week of the season started when results um, don't don't go your way but I'm not hearing anything bad about him um, just good stuff and I think uh, a, a change of air a change of manager he's got an able assistant I think there will be more changes as well on the coaching side so I won't be surprised if we we heard more more news, maybe more coaches um, coming in, departing. Um, there's been more change this summer at Manchester United than 
any summer I can remember and I've been covering this team for, for well over over 30 years so they're not going to stop either but it'll be judged on results won't it it can be the best coach in the world in terms of the players saying he's great he's great he's great if you're losing home matches then um, patience is going to start with you fairly quickly Carl, I know you're looking at a piece about some of the young players and who we might be able to to see on pre-season for the first time or a first meaningful sight in in first-team action under the new manager. Um, I know you've not released that piece yet, but can you give us a flavour of of who you think might be worth keeping an eye on? So this is a team team wide effort from the athletic. We're all we're all being asked to feed into say which player, young player you think is going to be really good at pre-season. So the criteria is they've got to be on the age of twenty one. Uh, and they've got to have played fewer than 150 Premier League minutes uh, for the senior team. Top of my head, I thought Garnacho really, really fits the criteria. I mean, at current point in time, he's the third choice number nine for Manchester United. If if you if you know you think is Ronaldo, Martial, and then probably Garnacho. So I think he he will probably get a decent amount of game time. I think it's also quite interesting that he's turned up to Carrington three weeks early, so he could have had an extended break due to his involvement with Argentina uh, in the, I want to say the Youth Cup, World Cup, or one of the youth tournaments. It might not be the World Cup, please forgive me. But he's decided to turn up early, so Tony Hall can get a look in, which I think is quite nice. I am, I've am i talked on this podcast frequently about Hannibal, and I'm really interested to see what Ten Hag makes of him, and also to see what sort of position Ten Hag thinks is his future, because if you talk to Tunisian FA, he's a Luka Modric-style central midfielder, but also he, you know if you talk to... to Neil Wood in the 23s he's, he's more of a number 10 and a winger and then possibly can play in that deeper position so I think that's quite interesting and then Laurie's had a fantastic chat with Neil Ryan who just eulogised about Shola Shotaire which I I love that piece like Laurie tell me more about how much Neil Ryan loves Shola <laughs> are you stealing Ian's final segment of the piece here today <laughs> just a little bit but I'm happy for people to segue into the new bits that's fine I like it okay we're fluid here aren't we this is the kind of fluid kind of fast flowing football <laughs> that we're hoping Eric Ten Hag will bring to Manchester United a revolving front three even though there's four of us yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I really enjoyed it I mean Neil Ryan obviously left United um, not too long ago at the end of the season 19 years as a coach onto new things with the FA and we had just a good you know, couple of hours together where he, he sat and spoke about his career um, and he was quite open with me about why he was moving on. But also, yeah, as you say, some of the younger players that he thinks um, have got a good chance. He's, he's quite um, a hard character to please. Like, he's certainly not somebody that just eulogises for the sake of it. So that's why I think his his praise of Shola Shoratire was quite um, pronounced, really. I mean, he did say he's got stuff to improve on, for sure. And he definitely has. You know, I don't think he's kicked on perhaps in the way that we would have hoped this season but then again I think it's because he's been playing in an under 23s team that's been very young really so it's not necessarily a team that's going to be winning every week and he's going to be able to flourish um, but no I was I was impressed with what he said about his character his mentality he, he looks quite slight but he's a very strong player on the pitch doesn't get brushed off too too often and and yeah psychologically I think he's quite a strong guy um, you know he's got a, a background where he's, he's moved around a little bit and you know that I think establishes a bit of character about you. So he, he thought that he could be one that Eriksen Hag takes a look at in pre-season and I'd be interested if he does so. He looks as if he's bulked up. Yeah, absolutely. It was the first set of photos of players turned up at Carrington. Shuratiri looks like he's found uh, the leg machine, shall we say. His calves look noticeably bigger. Uh, and I, rem- I say that stuff and I realise how absurd my job is and <laughs> I can tell football players are the size <laughs> of their calves. Some people look into that more than others, Carl. <laughs> we'll leave that there. 
Right, we've had quite a few people very nicely getting in touch since the podcast last week. A few people asking about what the schedule is going to be over the summer and when they can look out for the podcast each week. So the plan is going to do it. So the plan is going to do. So the plan is going to be. Oh my god. So the plan is going to be doing one a week, which seems quite thankful considering it's took me four times to say that sentence. Um, and it's going to be on a Thursday, so keep your eyes peeled each Thursday evening-ish, late afternoon, for a new Talk of the Devils. And of course, then we'll return to two a week once the season gets closer. Perhaps we'll do a little tease while Laurie and Andy are away on pre-season as well of a couple of podcasts a week, depending on how the matches are going and the news connected with Manchester United. But of course, that wasn't the only thing that people got in touch about. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone, for messaging, whether it's commenting on the feed, on the Athletic app or on Twitter. Uh, Nathan Kirkham, Andy, very nicely, sent us a picture of Soreen on sale in Dubai, which I thought was a great drop. Fantastic. I also had um, other people get in touch about Soreen, saying <laughs> it's still in Urmston. I said, are you sure? The factory wasn't there. He went, uh, no, it's just moved to Trafford Park. My, my, my girlfriend's in the sales there. So we need to establish whether malt loaf is still made in Urmston, which is really close uh, to, to Old Trafford. But great to hear that it's on sale in Dubai and also that people are listening to this around the world. Yeah, thank you, Nathan, for sending that picture in. Let us know if you've sampled any amaretto in Adelaide or Benny and Hot in Hong Kong, even. It'd be great to hear from everyone on that. And Carl, you are smiling at the minute, but there's a real bone of contention, young man, that we have to talk about. Yes. Do you remember the crapshoot thing last week? Did you see the messages about it? I did not. No, right. So on the podcast last week, you said that the article about Manchester United's uh, striker options in the transfer market this summer was a bit of a crapshoot. Yes. Um, I didn't know what it was, so I asked you at the time what you said it was. And your rough definition was widespread throwing at the wall and seeing what sticks. Now, at least three people, very angry, uh, got in touch to say that they're not happy with that exact definition of crapshoot. So it's time to shout out Finn, Tony Butterworth, <laughs> and humble country lawyer who doesn't sound like a man that you want to uh, annoy on the definition of things, to be fair. Oh, um, I'm just going to go through the message now to tell you what they insisted the exact definition was. So Tony Butterworth says, Andy and Carl, uh, a crapshoot is a reference to the randomness of a dice thrown in gambling game craps. Not whatever Carl tried to say. And Humble Country Lawyer, the one that you don't want to annoy, said crapshoot comes from the table game craps. It just means a dice roll coming down to pure luck. So does that still apply to Manchester United's striking search? A little bit. Are my apologies for my wrong definition of a crapshoot. But uh, I still think Manchester United's chances of getting a striker are a bit of a crapshoot. There you go. I think it just about works, doesn't it? I, I, I think that still is uh, is the... The, the essence of what Carl was getting across. And I love that people have gone to the trouble of telling us the exact definition. I'm I, I really fascinated to find out exactly where these sayings come from. Um, so thank you for that, guys. Yeah, it's great to have people in touch over the summer as well. It shows that they're listening, Andy, if nothing else, doesn't it? Yeah, and picking us up on all the little idiosyncrasies. <laughs> and it's mental when you're out, outside the ground and someone comes up to you and says, I've just been drinking a Benny and Hot because they're listening to the podcast. So <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all for that, a bit of the, the light humour. Yeah, Carl, did you have uh, 
Go on, Laurie, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, what, what were our festival drinks um, of the choice? You know, Primavera, what was on sale? Oh, uh, a lot of Australia on tap. Uh, I had a lot of gin and tonics and a very nice Aperol spritz tent that wasn't occupied by as many mem- uh, members of the populace. So I had a couple of Aperol spritz. I think it's quite funny how that's now the, the in vogue drink where, you know, no one was drinking for years ago. Everyone was drinking it. Andy had lager, didn't you, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> I think it could only have been worse if I said I had a pint of mild there, didn't it? I sound really old-fashioned. Uh, I do like um, a mojito in the summer, and I also like, um, is it Hicard, Perno and a bit of water, but I'll probably have it like Ooh. twice a year. Yeah, I think it's one part uh, Perno, five part uh, water. Pastis, in it? That's what the French drink in, in Marseille. You're not having many of them, lad. He has one so, um, trip on a cruise ship, and now he's having Perno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had that a bit. But, Absolute rocket fuel, that stuff as well. But, uh, I was, I, I drove to Primavera, so I was actually drinking water, and my, my daughter's like, why aren't you having beer? So I'm getting, getting called a lightweight by an 11-year-old. <laughs> this is what my life's come to. <laughs> Perfect. That seems a good place to leave it. Laurie, Andy, Carl, thank you so much for being with us as always. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We're going to be here every Thursday throughout the summer. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening today and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.